Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, so Matt, what do you get when you forget to put your fire in the fireplace out on Christmas Eve? Hmm. I don't know. A crisp Kringle? <laughs> yeah yeah that's right that's what you get <laughs> good evening everybody and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I am doing fantastic. Good, good. This is one of one of one of our favorite uh, shows. Mm-hmm. It's one of our favorite times of year. Um, so this is always this is always a blast. Yep, I like to. Uh, play the bah humbug thing around Christmas because it's funny to me to pick on Ashley, who is very into Christmas. I, I love Christmas, too, but I just like to play the <laughs> antithesis of that sometimes. And, uh-huh. you know, it, it's fun to me. Um, but before we get into it, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're happy to be associated with, and you can find some tips and tricks on podcasting. If you want to start your own podcast, we also want to thank tonight's sponsor, HelloFresh, who we will talk more about in the episode. While you're on the internet, doing your internet thing, passing some time, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and sign up to become a patron. We've got a ton of episodes on there and three different levels that you can join a one, a five and a $10 level. And our $10 patrons, they get ad free audio versions and video versions of the main episode and they get audio and video versions of the bonus episodes that we try to put out weekly. So head over there, patreon.com slash graveyard tales and sign up. So Matt, why don't we just get straight into this thing? (laughs) I'm sure everybody knows what we're doing, but to keep the tradition, Matt, tell us what we're doing tonight, brother. So tonight we are celebrating the Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories around the fire on Christmas Eve. It's an old tradition. Um, You know, back when you didn't have, you know, Christmas movies to watch, um, you know, you couldn't uh, tell Alexa to play Christmas songs. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're welcome for everybody's that just turned on. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you would, you would sit down and you would tell these stories and, they were ghost stories because this is the time where it, it the darkness is around a lot longer. Now we're talking about Victorian England here, mm-hmm. so it would it would get very dark very early. It does that and here. It's, yeah, it does that here. It, but still, you know, it doesn't in Australia. That's know? true. 
<laughs> not this time of year. Um, but anyway, this is when people feel like, you know, the veil is still thin mm-hmm. and it's a time that you're, you're remembering past loved ones, um, you know, maybe family members that have, that have died. And this is a way to show that connection to the spirit world. Right. Um, you know, you got to remember, you know, Christmas wasn't all about Santa Claus and Frosty the Snowman and, and Jingle Bells mm-hmm. from from its inception. Um, there were a lot of traditions that have, you know, died off over the last few centuries. And we think this is a cool one to bring back. Yep. Trying to revive this one one year at a time if we can. All right. So what we're going to do. Uh, is again this year we're just going to use initials instead of asking for permission for each one of these to use a name and all that stuff. It worked out great last year with just initials. You know who you are, so you'll know when we read your story. <laughs> we hope uh, you know who you are. We hope you know who you are. If not, you got bigger issues than um, us reading your name on a podcast. Anyway, so listen for your initials and your story, but that's how we're going to do it read the initials first, and then get into the story. So the first one I've got is from LW. So it says, I've been wanting to send this to y'all for some time now, and it's a story that my mom shared with me a few years back, and it hasn't left my head since. It's one of those disturbing things someone recounts to you that pops in your head at like 3 a.m., and suddenly you're wide awake. Unlike me, (laughs) and I have those, trust me. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Unlike me, this says, my mom doesn't believe in the supernatural. She's never believed in ghosts, creatures, spirits, etc. That's why I was so shocked when she told me the following story. I know she wouldn't lie about an experience based on the fact that she's never acknowledged the supernatural. To begin, there is some important backstory information needed in order to understand the paranormal incident. All of this took place in Harlingen, Texas. When my mom was about eight years old, her father passed away. About a year or so later, my grandmother remarried, and she has uh, she had been left to raise her five young girls by herself. This was the mid-70s. It was difficult for her to make enough income to support everyone on her own. says, I will call the man she married Bob. Bob was an evil man, and I'm not one to use the word evil lightly. He verbally and physically abused my grandmother. My mom was uh, has told me stories of how she remembers inserting herself between him and my grandmother, screaming at him to get his hands off her mom. She would hear him yelling at her or hurting her in the bedroom almost every night. My grandmother endured a few years of this until she discovered that Bob had exposed himself to one of my mom's sisters. She kicked him out and divorced him immediately. About 10 years after this, it was discovered that Bob was and had been a registered sex offender. He had a history of exposing himself, eh, you know, to people mm. he shouldn't. Yeah. That people it, that didn't want to see it. Yep. That extended long before he married my grandmother. Long story short, he was a horrible person. After Bob was gone, things settled down for my mom, her sisters, and my grandmother. And when my mom's oldest sister went off to college, my grandmother did some rearranging in the house and my mother was given my grandmother's old bedroom. This is the bedroom that her and Bob slept in 
when they were married. My mom was excited as she no longer had to share a room with one of her younger sisters and began sleeping in there as soon as she could. The fourth night she slept in that bedroom, she awoke in the middle of the night, unable to move her body or speak. So sleep paralysis. My mom told me she opened her eyes and observed her surroundings. Her room was dark and quiet. She kept trying to sit up, but she couldn't. She began to cry and panic. Her breathing quickened and she felt afraid. This had never happened to her before. All of a sudden, she begins to hear something whisper her name. It was a slow, drawn-out kind of whisper. My mom said it sounded like, Lisa. She says it was as if someone or something was right next to her ear, whispering or calling her name, though she couldn't turn her head to see what it was. I asked her about the voice specifically, and she told me all she could remember about it was that it sounded like whatever it was, was smiling. You know, when you can tell someone's smiling when they're saying something, then yeah, you can kind of hear that in somebody's voice. It goes on to say that uh, she says she felt like she was lying there frozen for about five minutes, listening to this thing calling out to her as she stared straight ahead in her dark room. Eventually, she was finally able to move, and she bolted from her bed and sprinted to my grandmother's room. She sobbed as she told my grandmother what had happened. My mom didn't sleep in that room until about a week later when the incident was distant enough to be passed off as a bad dream. There were a few nights of peace before the incident happened again. She awoke frozen and fearfully listened as something in the dark beckoned and called to her. The next day, my grandmother grew concerned. Her daughter wasn't sleeping and was swearing that there was something in her room. She was a very religious woman, and after the second incident, she decided it must be more than a nightmare. My grandmother was good friends with the wife of the pastor from her church. This woman, we'll call her Barbara, wasn't a pastor or leader of the church herself, but she did house calls for any reason for members of the church. My grandmother called and asked her if she would come bless the house. At the time, my mom had a black mutt named Chip. Chip was a very happy dog who was, who absolutely adored people. He never barked or showed signs of aggression when someone entered the house. He was always ecstatic to see new people. My mom specifically remembers when Barbara showed up to the house because Chip went absolutely crazy. He was aggressively barking at Barbara as she walked through the door and was trying to nip at her feet. My mom couldn't get Chip under control and ended up having to pick him up and put him in the backyard where he continued to bark and claw at the door. Barbara asked to see the bedroom, and my mom and my grandmother led her to it. With the three of them in the bedroom, Barbara began to recite scripture and pray over the room. She said several prayers, but she ended uh, on one that asked any evil spirits or demons to leave, that they were not welcome there and were no longer allowed to harm the family. The moment after speaking this prayer, my mom says a strong gust of wind blew past the three of them and out of the bedroom door. No windows were open, and my mom said it felt like something flew past her face. She asked if I'd ever had something like a ball thrown at me and barely missed me. She said that's what it felt like, but a much larger mass than a ball. Gah. Yeah, crazy. My grandmother grew lightheaded in the moment that this wind blew past them and had to kneel down so as not to collapse. She was okay, just startled, and my mom and Barbara helped her out of the room. 
My mom had no other experiences sleeping in that room after that. I understand how fake the part about the gust of wind might sound, but as I said in the beginning, my mom has no interest or belief in ghosts or ghost stories, and she's the furthest thing from a liar. So for her to recount something (laughs) like this... Uh, to me, gives me all the validation I need to know that that actually happened. says, I'm a firm believer that strong energy can remain in spaces, and I truly believe that Bob was evil enough and did did enough evil things to my grandmother in that room that he left some terrible energy behind or possibly manifested or attracted something evil because of it. So she goes on a little bit more, but I'll stop there. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a hundred percent. He had some attachment or attachments because of how he was, and he probably or vice did. versa. Yeah, that's. I true. mean, I mean, let's let's be real about it. I mean, who who's we've all seen these stories on the news of of these type people, and when they get arrested and everything, and some of them, you look at them and you're just like. What this guy looks like his huge nerd, like he's, you know, he's going to tell you how to do some chemistry experiment. You know, he's he's wearing the short sleeve button up shirt and the stupid pants pulled up too high. Mm-hmm. And you're like, it doesn't does it fit? So I've I have always wondered if not all, but if if some a fraction of these cases are due to some type of attachment. Right. I mean, it's right. just I agree. I think, I think a a good majority of them probably are. I mean, you can't discount that there are just evil people, but well, yeah, I think in, in a lot of these cases, like you look at people like, uh, Dahmer or BTK, they were normal people. Most of the time. I mean, even, uh, Gacy, Mm -hmm. normal people, most of the time led a normal life. And then they had a side that just went crazy. So what if, what if that was when some evil attachment took over? Yeah. You know, it could just be that they're evil and crazy, but the, the the only caveat I have to that is I, I think there's gotta be something there that would draw something to attach. Sure. Sure. You know what I'm saying? You know, you're, you're not just, you know, an all American you know, person, and you're just walking down the street one day and something jumps out from the bushes and attaches itself to you. And the next thing you know, you're some kind of predator. Sure. Not that. I I think that you, you have a propensity. Maybe you have some thoughts, you know, maybe, you know, in the, in the, in the darkest realms of your brain, you know, things go a little haywire and it draws an energy to you that allows you to act on these things. Um, I don't know. This is all speculation, but I mean, when you're talking about stories like this, you just have to think, what man, yeah. I mean, we, you know, there's evil out there. Mm-hmm. You know, what if, what if these people that we see that we think, God, they are so just evil. Maybe, maybe they're that evil because there's something evil attached to them. True. Maybe they drew something to themselves. True. All right. Well, that's that's one way to start it off with a bang. Yep. Isn't it? Start it off there. All right. So this next one comes from Jr. And Jr. says, 
I would like to share two stories of mine with you. The first is rather short. I was sleeping in my room one night, and at some point, something stirred me out of my sleep. I was on my stomach facing left with my left hand on the bed by my pillow. I shifted my weight and went to adjust my blanket when I felt a weight on my back. I initially thought it was my mother's cat sleeping on me. I moved again, and the weight felt very large, larger than the cat. The weight laid across my shoulders, square down to my hips, and it was heavy. When I realized it wasn't the cat, I started to breathe faster and get scared. I couldn't move to shake it off, and I couldn't turn my head to see what it was. At the height of my panic, I felt something caress my left hand gently, as if to tell me it was okay and not to be afraid. I inhaled sharply and jerked my body. The hand and the weight lifted straight up off my body as if pulled by a rope. I turned the light on and looked around my room and saw nothing. No cat, no anything. I was alone. Well, that, that almost sounds like sleep paralysis. Almost, but yeah. Not quite. Maybe yeah. a variation of it. Yeah, it could be a variation of it. Um, sounds similar to what I had sleep yeah. paralysis wise with the inability to move, but I never had anything caress me while in that state. You know? Just me. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was just you taking advantage of me not being able to fight back. You, you but I know this was he brought up the cat because he thought it was a real cat. But di- you saw a cat one time, didn't yeah, you? I yeah. did. Uh, there was a like a white, whiteish cat that was exiting my room. So, yeah, and I I didn't really have weird. a whitish cat. It's so, really weird. Yeah. All right. So the second one, he says, uh, he said, it's a, he says, this one's a bit longer, requires a slight of a slight amount of background. So we'll get into this one. He says, one of my hobbies is photographing abandoned places. Man, I love looking at those. I don't know what it is. <laughs> he said, I've been to the Pennhurst Asylum, Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, the Washoe Club, and Letchworth Village, along with a bunch of other locations to mention. We've talked about, what, at least three of these places? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the Washoe Club just recently. Yep. On Ken July. Hurst, fi- Trans-Allegheny. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. We, I think we need to we need to follow up on that. Mm-hmm. He says, on July 5th, a few years ago, I went to Hillview Manor in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, for a day of photography. Hillview started out as a poor farm and later a nursing home and is supposedly very haunted. I was the only person in the building that day for tours. I have to point out that this was a daytime tour, not an overnight exploration. I got a small tour from the guide and then was allowed to roam the building for the next two hours. The first stop on the guided tour, we both heard a loud sound coming from one of the rooms. We both turned and went into the room to investigate. The room looked like a standard hospital room. No bed, but the electric panel on the wall behind where the bed would be, the bathroom and the closet and the ceiling, had the track for the privacy screen. The room also had plastic over the windows, and a group of flies were bumping into it trying to get out. The guide said that the sound he heard was as if someone pulled the privacy screen. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what I thought. when Those little he, metal hooks as they mm-hmm. slide? 
Yeah. When he said there was a privacy uh, rail, that was the first thought. I was like, oh, that sounds as you pull it closed. He said, the tour finished without any incidents, and I went to hunt out some good shots. The first odd thing that happened was as I was setting up for a shot at the far end of the building. I set my tripod up, and as I was adjusting my camera, I felt something brush between my legs. I've been around cats my entire life and recognized this feeling as a tail from a cat weaving in and out of my feet. I took a few pictures and moved on. The next location I shot was at a nurse's station on the third floor. The ceiling tile had fallen out above it, and there was some light filtering through, which created a pattern I wanted to photograph. I had to get behind the desk to shoot outward, and behind me on either side of my tripod are rooms that were pitch black. I used my flashlight to see what was in the rooms, just storage space for files, meds, etc. said, I took my backpack off and laid it out of the shot. As I was setting up, I couldn't bring myself to stand behind the camera. I didn't like my back to those rooms. I had chills, and I felt like I was being watched. I tried multiple times to do it, but I eventually had to peek around from the side of my tripod into the viewfinder to get the picture. When I was finished, I got my equipment out of that area as fast as possible. Many times during the day, I had to pass by that first stop, the tour guide, and I heard the sounds. Each time I walked by it, I heard the buzzing of the flies, and the temp in the hallway in front of the room was very, very cold. He says, remember, it was July in a building with no heat or air conditioning. He said, a feeling around the room bothered me so much that I had to go upstairs and use the second floor hallway to move around the building, as would I have done. Um, He said, I was on the first floor again, right by that room. and I told myself that going back upstairs and taking the long way back was silly, and I was being paranoid. I decided to pass the room on my way to the waiting room to leave. As I got close to the room, I heard nothing. No flies against the plastic, just dead silence, and it was a lot colder than it was before. I felt like I was being watched, and my body was reacting to something around me. I got past the room, but the cold felt like it was still around me. He said, I'm a devout atheist, and even after all this, I'm still skeptical about the paranormal. I turned without thinking and said very forcefully, no, I don't allow it. Your place is here. I do not give you permission, and turned and started to walk away. The air warmed around me as I left that area, and I started to feel a little more relaxed. I told the guide some of the things that happened to me, and he offered up some interpretations on the events. That night, I reviewed the videos that I took. One of them is me talking into my phone as I tried to flip the camera on the phone around. You can hear a loud bang coming from a closed metal door a few feet behind me, as if the door was slammed or hit with a fist. He said, I didn't hear this in real time while recording, The other video I took was me walking the halls and just shooting straight ahead. As I pass through a doorway, you can hear what sounds like a breath. The door was open. There was no vacuum to mimic a breath. And again, I'm the only one in the building. The last piece of evidence I got that day was found by my wife that night. We were laying in bed. I had my shirt off with my back to her. She gasped and asked me how I got those scratches. I said, what scratches? 
She took her phone out and took a pic and showed me, and there in the center of my back was a tic-tac-toe pattern in scratches. I tried to think about me bumping into anything that could have caused it and couldn't recall having my camera bag off at any point during the day, except where I took photos on the third floor where I couldn't stand behind my camera. That's crazy. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that is just... <laughs> I mean, that story gives me chills. I don't I don't mm-hmm. know that I would be one that would that would be willing to stay in one of those places by myself even during the day. Yeah. I, I, I have a tendency to creep myself out anyway. Um, but that's pretty bold, but that's, a, that's, that's pretty cool. That is a, that yeah. is a, that is a cool story. Cool, uh, event that, uh, you can share. We appreciate you sharing it with us. Yep. I've told Ashley before that haunted places like that, that I've been, I feel better when I'm with at least one other person mm-hmm. for some reason, my, my courage is bolstered when I got one other person and it's not because I think, oh, Nothing's going to happen to me. I just think, oh, if something bad happens to me, there's somebody here to pull me out. Yeah. You know, if I go down, if I pass out, if something knocks me out, whatever, I'm like, okay, there's somebody here that can get me help. If I'm by myself, I'm on my own. And I don't like, you know, I would be helpless in that thing. And you and I have talked. Me. It's a control thing, I understand, but I have this thing where I I get anxious and I don't like not being able to control an outcome. Right. You know, yeah. that that's I prefer driving for that reason. I don't like being driven around for that reason. And that's why I hate tornadoes. I have no control over that situation whatsoever. It's been a fear of mine since I was a kid. Yeah. And, you know, you're just up to the and I don't like that. It's the same way. If I was by myself and something happened to me, no control. I'm Mm -hmm. knocked out. I'm hurt, whatever. And at least, you know, if you're there or Ashley's there, hey, y'all can get me help. Even if y'all can't render quick aid, you could get somebody that could render aid. Yeah. And and I get that. I get that completely because I'm 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 the same way. I I would want somebody else Mm -hmm. to be around. I, I think. For me, it's because my imagination does run away with me. I, I've read so much. I have watched and seen and, and and spoken firsthand with people who have experienced things. I've experienced things myself yep. that in my head, all bets are off. <laughs> right. You know, anything right. and everything can and will happen if I go into this supposed haunted place alone. Right. And, and that's going to be playing on loop in my head. So I I just, I I would need somebody else there just to kind of keep me grounded and focused. Right. Exactly. All right. So this next one is from BN. Now BN says the house I grew up in was well over a hundred years old when we moved in, in, in the early two thousands. I don't know why. Sorry. I'm jumping in. I don't know why, but the word in back to back just screwed me up. (laughs) They said when I'm, when I moved in, in the early two thousands, Com- it's a That's completely like- legit sentence and, and phrase, yeah. but I saw it twice and my brain went in, 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 for some reason. That's like when you see had, had together. Yeah. 
Yep. I had head, 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 head. <laughs> it, I just get stuck on this loop. <laughs> it's like it's only twice. Why are you saying it's it 80 just, it's times? It's weird stutter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. All right. Sorry about that. Jumping back into it. it says it was built by a pair of a pair known as the Moon Brothers. They were a fairly prolific family in the area, and many of the houses they built are registered historic sites for our city. They had built this house for their sisters, who who was a local school teacher, and she actually owned the first home radio in our country in our county. The house was built within walking distance of the school she taught at, and she would often bring her elementary class to the house to listen to the radio as a reward for good behavior. Says, could you imagine that nowadays? No. <laughs> yeah. No. Now, says this house had its fair share of typical, quote, ghost activity. It was an almost daily occurrence to hear loud, steady boot steps going down the basement stairs or the sound of crashes and knocking in the basement when no one was there. It is not uncommon to feel like you are being watched when alone in a room or to see the shadow of a person out of the corner of your eye. There was even a time when I watched the bathroom faucets physically turn themselves to turn the water on, and another time every TV in the house turned on at the exact same moment to the same eerie static channel. Uh! Says even the ones hooked up to devices that were turned on. So even the ones that like could have, when you turned it on, picked up a station, they all went to a static channel. Yeah, have you ever seen that movie White Noise with Michael Keaton? Mm-hmm. Yep. That reminds me of that. That Up until the end, that movie is creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. I, I thought the ending ruined it. But yeah, leading up yep. to it, oh. Yep. And then when and it, you said that, I was like, damn. Yep, just <laughs> on every one of them. Uh-huh. It says, I personally believe that there are at least two entities in the house, an old man who resides on the back porch and basement, and a young girl I named Katie. I don't know why I chose that name, but that is what I have called her since I was about six. It has always just felt right. Katie likes to take things. I cannot tell tell you how many times keys, wallets, phones, or whatever else has have gone missing and returned to their original spot after hours of hunting. My usual trick to getting my things back is to loudly shout, Hey, Katie, I know you took my blank. I'm going to walk out of the room, and when I return... Please make sure it is back where you got it from. It says nine times out of ten, when I return to the room, my missing item will be exactly where I left it. That's awesome. That is pretty cool. It says there was one instance of missing items that happened when I was an adult that has really stuck with me. I had moved back in with my mom while waiting for my new house to be ready to move into. Two days after I moved in, my razor went missing from the bathroom. I tried my usual trick with no luck. At that point, I assumed it was a living person in the house who had moved it. However, they all denied taking it. I eventually gave up the hunt and chalked it up to one of my brothers, quote, borrowing it and just not owning up to the theft. That is, until one one day, about two months later, I was in the shower and had grabbed the bar of soap off of the built-in soap shelf. I turned around to use the soap, and when I turned back, to return it somehow perfectly dry in the ring of soap and water left behind by the bar was my razor. There was no way this could have been there before. There, wow. there would not 
Yeah, there would not have been room for the razor and the bar of soap to both sit on the shelf, so it's not like I could have missed it. Even if I had somehow overlooked it sitting there in plain sight for two months, how was it dry when everything else in the shower was wet? The only explanation I can come up with is that it was Katie. Though the usual activity in the house is playful at best and a nuisance at worst, there was one night that I will always remember when the activity didn't seem so benevolent. I was about eight years old and had woken up suddenly in the middle of the night. There was a rare, that was rare occurrence for me, even as a child, as I was one of those people who are dead to the world once I fall asleep. Yeah, that's Michael. When Michael's out, <laughs> he out, man. Fire alarm could go off, which is right outside his bedroom. He, he'll sleep through it. Yeah. So, uh. If anything happens, I, I'm going to have to just go pick him up because he ain't waking up for anything. Says, except on this night. I laid there for a while and eventually decided that I would get up and go use the bathroom since I was already awake. I tiptoed out of my room into the living room and noticed that my mom had fallen asleep on the couch playing on the Game Boy. The house was dark, but there was a, a slight glow from the kitchen as my mom always left the light above the stove on. Yeah, I, my grandmother did that. Always left a light on downstairs just in case. Don't know <laughs> why, but always did. Says I made my way through the living room and just had to make it through the dining room to get to the bathroom on the other side. However, when I made it to the doorway between the living room and dining room, I stopped dead in my tracks. There was a man standing on the right side of the dining room table that sat in the middle of the room. He was tall and seemed to be wearing a hat and a long coat. I couldn't make out any features as even with the glow of the stove light coming from the kitchen door directly behind him, he was darker than dark. The only thing I can discern about his face was that he was standing facing me, but his head was turned to the right, and he was staring into the mirror that was across the dining room table from him. I stood there frozen for what seemed like forever, debating whether I should try to quietly wake my mom or just scream and bring the whole house running. My decision-making was cut short, however, when the figure turned his head and looked directly at me. It was like before that moment, he hadn't even realized I was there. This triggered my fight or flight, and for some reason, I didn't run to my mother or the safety of my bedroom. I ran towards the man. Yeah! Don't ask me why. <laughs> that, that's, that takes some cojones right there. Don't ask me why, but I ran past him between the table and the mirror he had been staring into and hunkered down in the bathroom. I kept the light off and the bathroom door cracked so I could hear when he came for me, but the footsteps never came. As I said before, this is an old house. You can hear when someone thinks too hard. <laughs> let alone those before, yeah. Yeah. Let alone a grown man walking through it, yet I never heard a thing. No breathing, no footsteps, and neither of the bells that my mother had attached to the front and back doors, so I know he never opened either of them. Eventually, I mustered up all the courage my little eight-year-old body could and slowly crept out of the bathroom. He was gone without a trace. I immediately ran back to the living room and tried to wake my mom, but had no luck. In fact, I couldn't get anyone in the house to wake up, even the dog. So I did the only thing I knew to do, crawled back into bed pulled the covers up tight, and snuggled in until morning. When I woke up the next day, the first thing I did was ask Mom who was in the house the night before. 
Of course, she didn't believe me and blamed it all on a dream, but I know I was awake and I know what I saw. It wasn't until many years later that I realized what had visited me that night. And this is what I thought. They say it was the hat man. Yeah, exactly what I thought. Yep. I don't think I was supposed to wake up that night, and I definitely don't think I was supposed to see him doing whatever he was doing in the mirror. But thankfully, so far, that has been my only encounter with him. And that's exactly what I thought, too. As soon as they started describing this figure, I thought hat man. Mm -hmm. And we know the paranormal has a thing with mirrors. They're like a gateway. I was was thinking about that, too. Maybe that was like his doorway in and out of your house. You know, I I would love to know the history of that mirror. Yeah. And I would, um, I'd put something over that mirror. (laughs) No joke. If you still got it, put something over that mirror at night. Any, anything, you know, just a sheet, something, you know, I, I mean, you know, we, we've seen that done for, you know, centuries. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave it open. I mean, you might as well be leaving a door open. It's almost a cliche at this point, but it, it seems to work. You know, people wouldn't keep doing it if it didn't work. All right. Our next one comes from AB. No, it's not me. <laughs> it's not me. Or Ashley. It's, it's not her either. Okay. This is another AB. I know. Well, AB. I know because you, you've never lived in Ohio. so No, <laughs> that's a very right. good point. All right. So we live in central Ohio, but enjoy visiting Kentucky. I enjoy the hiking and my husband enjoys restocking his bourbon bar. In June of 2020, just as the country was beginning to wipe the sleep from its eyes after the forced hibernation of the COVID lockdown, we planned such a trip. Waverly Sanatorium has been on my bucket list for several years. So on a whim, two weeks before the planned weekend, I checked their website to see if they had resumed giving tours. The fates must have been smiling because the weekend we planned to travel was the second weekend Waverly was to be opened after the lockdown. Hmm. They said, um, yeah, they still had COVID restrictions, but, you know, you she managed to get a couple of tickets for the tour. That, that's good luck right there. My husband may have been more excited than I was when I told him he couldn't wait to visit this notoriously haunted place. And by the way, my husband is a pastor. We showed up the night of the tour, and my husband immediately began wishing out loud that the paranormal would make itself visible. I dare say he was taunting the entities to show themselves, and I repeatedly told him to be careful what he wished for. Yeah, not a good idea, brother. <laughs> yeah, not no, a good says, idea. Nothing good comes from getting sassy with the spirit world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Amen to that. Now, anyone who's heard of Waverly Sanatorium knows that the fourth floor is notorious for its otherworldly activity which is why it is the last stop on the tour. The guide asked the group to line up along the walls of the dark corridor and look toward a window in the door at the opposite end of the hall. Supposedly, you can see shadow people passing in front of the window. Personally, I thought anything I saw could be a trick of the light, or lack thereof, floaters in my own eyes or the power of suggestion since the guide essentially told us what to look for after a minute or two of staring down this corridor the guide asked for volunteers to walk down the hallway towards the door 
I had been standing in front of my husband and he literally pushed me out of the way so that he could jump into the middle of the hall, waving his hand above his head, almost shouting, I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) Did I mention that my husband is a pastor? (laughs) (laughs) The guide instructed him to walk a certain walk to a certain point and then turn to face the group. When he turned around, she asked if he felt anything at the end of the hall. When he said it was colder down here, my logical brain said, yeah, no body heat from the rest of the group down there. The guide mm-hmm. then told my husband to stretch his arm out to his sides and very slowly walk back towards the group. He had taken two steps when a black head and shoulders appeared over my husband's left shoulder. My husband is six foot two, and this thing's chin was at the level of his forehead. As gasps and whispers of, did you see that, arose from the group, my only thought was, please, dear God, don't let that thing follow us home. Yeah. And my husband excitedly asked, what was going on? When he was standing behind me once again, I told him what we saw. He was super stoked that something happened to him and couldn't wait to see it for himself when the next volunteer took their turn. Two more people took the walk but nothing else happened on the fourth floor. Since the moment we got out of the car, my husband had been asking, almost demanding to experience something. And until the fourth floor, the tour had been pretty uneventful. My husband was disappointed that the only real paranormal occurrence had happened when he wasn't able to see it. (laughs) I reminded him that the paranormal is not a theater and the entities are not actors giving a command performance. Right. I suggested that the spirits intentionally didn't reveal themselves out of spite because he had spent the entire evening acting like a jerk. And she once again reiterates that her husband is a pastor. (laughs) She goes on to say, as for her personal experience at Waverly, I did feel a cold breeze periodically wrap around my legs in June in a building with no AC. And a few times I felt a little hand tried to slip into mine. Nothing I would call earth-shattering, but still worth the trip. Yeah, that's still pretty cool. And you know what? I think that's great. And I would say that is probably a an extraordinarily eventful tour. Yeah. Um, yep. Because we've talked to a lot of people that have been on these tours, not just at Waverly, but all over the country uh, and in other countries. And, you know, nothing, absolutely zero happened. So I I think if you take a tour of somewhere like this and anything happens, consider yourself pretty fortunate if that's what you were banking on. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I mean, like, like she said, the, the paranormal isn't, uh, you know, I can't remember. Oh, it's Shaun of the dead where one of the actors, they're trying to get one of the actors to do something. And he goes, I'm not a trained monkey, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like the the paranormal, you can't expect them to do something just because you want to see it. Right. And like she said, they may have, because he was so intent on seeing it, they may have said, no, not this time. You don't get to see it. And I kind of think if something happened every time, you would begin to be a little suspect. Right, right, yeah. I mean, if 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 you consistently saw the same thing every time this tour happened, I would begin to think this is phony. You know, this yeah. is staged. So, yep, that's true. All right, so the next one is from Dr. 
and she sent one in last year as well. And she says, Hey, it's me again with another story and another haunted army base. I love these. Oh yeah. Says this time we're coming to you from Fort Campbell, Kentucky. We know that one right right? up the road. Yeah. Yep. I actually, as a sidebar, I had a friend who was stationed up there and I, it was ill-advised, but when they came back from Lee, uh, you know, came back on leave, he invited me to come drink with them. <laughs> it's very ill-advised to drink with soldiers who are just back from war. Right. Especially when you're a lightweight like I am. And they were drinking Green Label Jack. Mm. So let's just say I did not make it back home that night and was in very much pain the next day. Oh, Lord. So I can only imagine. Those those Fort Campbell Army guys just about killed me. Yeah. Anyway. So it says, coming to you from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, home of the 101st Screaming Eagles. And we have been here almost three years, and to say the least, it's never been boring here. The house here is much more chill than the last ones at Bragg and Hood, which have uh, which has been nice. However... My husband was deployed last year, and my mom would come up from Texas every other month to help and give me a break. One of the first times she was here, she was upstairs and found tiny footprints in resin ink coming out of the closet where I store all my resin stuff. Thing uh, thing is, at the time, the closet was full of pallets, and you are not getting in there. I don't care how small of a person you are. We thought, oh, the kid's had some hidden nope there was no explanation after that there has been a lot of times i've heard my name being called says but you know if you hear that no you don't and about a month ago i heard my kids calling and yelling hey no one was here but me at the time but the really freaky thing that goes on here are out at the back 40 dogmen strange sights and sounds. My husband, who is a non-believer, said, I don't know what I saw out there, but I never want to go back. I wish I had had the recording and the pics, but it was uh, downright insane. We have also come out of there on the Harley at night, and I have seen things running out of the side, of, uh, running out beside us just outside the tree lines and heard things yelling and asking for help. But once again, no, you didn't hear that. So I think says I think the worst thing that's happened to me personally since we have been here was the sound of a small child asking for me. I will never get over that one. My kids were asleep in my bed when it happened, and nothing I have done here seems to deter whatever is going on. So the crazy part to me about this, I know where this is, and I have I've been there and there are, she's had dog man sightings there. Like yeah, large bipedal walking things and seeing them running along the tree line when they were riding their Harley down the road. I don't know what it is, but we get a lot of bipedal hominid sightings at military bases. And, and in Kentucky. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Kentucky, um, you know, Northern Tennessee, you know, Southern Kentucky, you know, Fort Campbell sits right on the Tennessee, uh, Kentucky state line. Um, right. 
you do if you, you in fact if you look at it you know Kentucky has quite a few Bigfoot sightings but when you start digging in you realize that a lot of those sightings that are attributed to Bigfoot are actually more like a dogman sighting mm-hmm. and you're like mm-hmm. well you know tomato tomato um but you know from from what we understand the the dogman sightings these these entities these creatures move very quickly mm-hmm. um you know they are not the big lumbering you know sasquatch right. like we've kind of learned to um attribute to those sightings you know these things are quick um so yeah i mean you know this it's not surprising at all um and you know i think i think it's pretty cool but those those dogman sightings from northern tennessee southern kentucky they've been around a long time yep yep cool that she's seen one and that her husband a non-believer has yeah (laughs) all right adam hey let's talk about uh one of tonight's sponsors a long-term sponsor of graveyard tales hello fresh and you guys you've heard us talk about hello fresh before and if you don't know, HelloFresh uh, is a meal delivery service where you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You get to skip trips to the grocery store, and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's called America's number one meal kit. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've, we've talked about how much that we hate going to the store. And I'll be honest, in the last week, I feel like I have gone to the store every day oh, yeah. for for something, you know, and it's always dinner related. And God, I cannot stand that question of what are we going to eat for dinner? When I come home and I see that HelloFresh box sitting on the front porch, I know what's for dinner. Right. It's something good. And the kids know it's going to be something good, and they're going to be able to help. Or in some cases at my house, do it themselves. Right. And Amanda and I get to take the night off because it's so cool. that You get these easy-to-follow recipe cards. If you need a jicama, then you've got the jicama. You know, you don't have to run to the store and go, what's a jicama? And mm. where can I find it? <laughs> right, right. And after a full day of work, you've still got a lot to do around the house. So, you know, we all know that some days feel like eating a wholesome dinner is next to impossible. But with HelloFresh, you can turn busy weeknights into memorable mealtimes with delicious practical options designed to save you time, like their 15-minute meals. And you can make hosting a party this holiday season a joy rather than a hassle with the help of HelloFresh Market. From crowd-pleasing charcuterie boards to photo-worthy de- desserts, it's easy to add these party pleasers to your weekly orders, saving you so much time. And Matt, you know I'm a big fan of Tex-Mex and Mexican food. They oh, yeah. have They have beef and pepper enchiladas. Ugh. Dude... I tell you, if I, if we get an enchilada, if they have one scheduled for that week, and Ashley knows we got to select that because I'm going to love it and I'm going to overeat 
because I love them so much. They have their enchilada recipe down pat. Oh, yeah. So if you like yeah. Tex-Mex, order you some HelloFresh enchiladas. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, you just, I can't say enough. I mean, we we all get excited when we get an enchilada meal or really any Tex-Mex meal. Right. From HelloFresh. It's just, I mean, it's great. It is. And, and we think you'll enjoy it, too. So if you want to get on the HelloFresh train with Adam and myself, go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard Free and use our code Graveyard Free. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-F-R-E-E for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard Free with our code Graveyard Free. That's right. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard Free and use our code Graveyard Free and you will get free breakfast for life. Like Matt said, one item per box while your subscription is active. HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard Free with code Graveyard Free. Okay, this next one comes to us from JP. JP says, this happened to one of my dad's closest friends, and it's a story I've heard many times growing up. Doug was a big old farm boy at 370 pounds, six foot five, and not the kind of guy you wanted to mess with. In the winter of 1987, at 4 a.m., Doug found himself kicked out of his house by his now ex-wife. She hadn't even let him grab his truck keys on the way out the door. Doug lived in a very rural part of Amish country, Pennsylvania. The sky was a dark, hazy gray with a few snowflakes drifting in the breeze. He found himself faced with a long, dark, misty walk in the falling snow. On his walk to the farm where he worked, he passed by an Amish cemetery. There was a freshly dug grave along the fence line half in and half out. I'm not sure I know what that means. Um, Half in, half out. Okay. Probably half inside the fence and half outside. Oh, okay, okay. In the Amish community, if you leave the church, you aren't allowed a normal burial, but but are buried along the fence line, half in the cemetery and half out of the cemetery. Mm, It's interesting. The sight of freshly turned dirt on top of snow set him on edge. There wasn't much Doug was scared of, but the idea of the supernatural chilled him to the bone. As he kept walking his way towards work, something just didn't feel right. The air felt uneasy. He could feel that something or someone was following him. Doug slowly glanced over his shoulder and could see something behind him in the sky glowing. He quickly spun around and the glow was gone. It had disappeared. Needless to say, Doug was spooked. He tried to act normal and kept walking his way towards work, but every time he glanced over his shoulder, the glowing was behind him. After Mm. a few more yards, he couldn't handle it and the panic was boiling up inside him. He glanced over his shoulder again and the glowing was still following him. So Doug did the only thing he could. He ran as fast and as far as he could. He ran until he couldn't breathe. 
He kept running until he couldn't feel his legs. He ran until he couldn't run a single step more, and he fell to his knees in the snow, wheezing and sputtering for breath. He begged the spirit for mercy. He sat there on his knees waiting to die. But mm. but death never came. Turns out the mag light in his back pocket was on. <laughs> <laughs> His Amish spirit was a flashlight beam in the early morning haze. That's hilarious. (laughs) That's great. And then (laughs) after all that, I get now for the real paranormal story. (laughs) This is that was great writing. That was great. I love that. that. Good. So as we go on, he says, I worked in a very large upscale nursing home for almost a decade. One night I was chef on duty in one of the large kitchens and one of the cooks needed something from the freezer. I was a free hand. So I made my way to the large walk-in freezer and stepped inside. I've never had a feeling like this before or after. I looked and standing in the back corner was a little old lady wearing a blue sweater, red shirt, and tan pants. She had Hmm. white hair and was completely solid. My whole, well, yeah, if she's been standing in the freezer. (laughs) Yeah, and (laughs) probably shatter if she fell. It says, my whole body was unsettled. I knew her, and she had died eight months ago. Oh, wow. I asked her how she was in the freezer. (laughs) She just looked at me with a flat expression and vanished. I still get chills thinking about it to this day. I never believed in ghosts or spirits, but that day changed everything. Yeah. What I want to did this lady die in that freezer? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Eight months but. ago, she got locked in the freezer by mistake, and she died. That's yeah, why right. she came back there. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know, but but man, yeah. Well, yeah, especially if you recognize her. Mm-hmm. You realize that it's somebody that had lived there prior and died. Yep. Yep. That's wild. Nursing homes but, have a tendency to have some lingering spirits for a period yeah. of time. You know, I, I most people don't have the opportunity to be in a nursing home late at night unless mm-hmm. you're working, you know, the midnight shift. Um, but there is some weird stuff that goes on. I've I've worked in plenty of nursing homes over the years, and I've talked to nurses that work night shift. And for the most part, things are uneventful. But every once in a while, something really weird happens. Oh, man. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. All right. So the next one I got comes from BK. It says, I have a story that happened to me a few years ago involving everyone's favorite shadow people. My partner and I moved into an apartment in the historic neighborhood of Capitol Hill here in Dover, Denver, Colorado. It's a neighborhood filled with old apartment buildings and even older mansions. The building we moved into was a typical one for the area. A squat three-story brick building from the 1950s with walls that had been painted over so many times you couldn't get a thumbtack through, uh, through all the layers. It was gorgeous with giant windows overlooking the tree-lined street below and stunning hardwood floors throughout. It was perfect. A few months or so into living there, I started noticing dark shapes or shadows that I would catch out of the corner of my eye. I can't say when it started as I didn't really take note until it became extremely frequent and more 
let's say, full-bodied. I would be sitting in one room and constantly catch a dark shape in the doorways or behind me when I would turn my head. It freaked me out, but I kept chalking it up to my eyes playing tricks on me. It became harder to ignore when full-body shadows began having a presence. I no longer had to see them to know they were there. After a few super creepy encounters, I finally told my partner about it. He immediately sat up and said he had been experiencing the same thing for the last few months, but didn't want to say anything. We nervously giggled while we told our stories, but ultimately shrugged it off as nothing more than a creepy creepy experience in our new home. We didn't know much, if anything, about shadow people at the time. Then, one night, we had just gone to bed when I suddenly remembered I hadn't submitted a paper for my online class that was due that night. A nightmare in its own right, they say. Mm-hmm. So I got up and went to the living room to take care of it. We didn't have a coffee table at the time, so I sat on our couch with my laptop on a tall kitchen chair in front of me. I didn't bother turning any lights on, as it was only going to take me a few minutes to submit it. The computer screen lit up the living room dimly as I got to work. I noticed while I was double-checking my paper that something on the floor to my right next to the chair legs kept catching my eye. Every time I looked down, there was nothing there but empty floor. I kept thinking it had to be the computer screen light messing with my eyes a bit. About the third time I saw it in my peripheral, I noticed it was a big black mass on the floor. I didn't look at it at first and kept viewing it through my peripheral. It stayed the whole time, and I saw that it was fairly large, coming about halfway up the tall kitchen chair it was next to, Uh, so around my knee height, they say. Finally, I looked at it full on. This time it didn't disappear. The black mass was in the shape of a human crouched down, knees to chest with arms on either side touching the floor. It slowly tilted its head to look up at me, and instead of a face, it was white, tribal-like mask. It was elongated with the mouth area carved out in an exaggerated grin and two slits carved out from where the eyes would be. I jumped to my feet, and it disappeared in front of me. The next day, I did my research and discovered shadow people. I quickly found some black tourmaline, and we never saw them again. Actually, that's not entirely true. You know how you need to cleanse the stones every so often? I was always reminded when that needed to happen because the shapes in the corner of my eye would start up. As soon as the stones were cleansed, the shapes disappeared. We lived there for another three years, and as long as the stones were cleansed, we never dealt with anything supernatural like that again. As a little bonus, we found out what may have been causing these shadow people. Right next door to our building was a historic mansion from the mid-1800s that was turned into a boutique hotel. The mansion was supposedly involved with the 1890 transition of Denver City Cemetery to what is known today as Cheeseman Park. In 1893, they hired a man to move 5,000 graves from the cemetery. The guy was paid per coffin, so naturally he and his men would cut up the bodies for more coffins. Supposedly, they performed this task in the basement of the mansion next door. Needless to say, we always have some black tourmalin in our home just in case. Absolutely. Yep. Matt and I do, too. Yep. We keep it on us, and I make sure that Ashley and Michael have it, too. You know, and it's funny, people talk about this, um, you know, the the whole black tourmaline thing. And I mean, 
there, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions about yeah this is all a bunch of hooey this is like crystals same difference but let me tell you I I have shadow people in the house that I live in now I had mm-hmm. seen them for about a year and just never just tried to not worry about it um and then I got a a big piece of black tourmaline that was sent to us by a listener um Mm -hmm. adam and i each have one that's a fairly large piece largest piece i own and it sits on my nightstand and i we've never had them again yep Uh, i mean it it just it sits it doesn't move it gets dusty i dust it off you know i'll cleanse it about maybe every six months um but we we never have them and mm-hmm. it's funny. I, I usually always have a piece on me. I, I I wore one around my neck for a long time, yep. and my the 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 leather strap that I had it attached to broke, and I just never fixed it. And I still had it. I just wasn't wearing it. And I mean, things began to change. Mm-hmm. And after about a month of just i mean things going haywire in my life my couldn't couldn't think you know i thought golly is this is this covid brain what the heck is going on and i realized i hadn't worn that piece of tourmaline in about a month yeah and i started wearing it again or at the minimum i'll carry one in my pocket and it it is ever i've never had that specifically happen again dude i'm with you i i wear one around my neck all the time i've got it on a metal chain and i i made the wrapping for the the stone myself well i had something similar happen where i caught my necklace on something that i was moving and it snapped Mm -hmm. the chain and normally i sleep in it like I, i go to bed and my necklaces stay on well, I didn't for a couple of days until I could go get more chains. Mm-hmm. And I had a sleep paralysis incident that night. The first night that I didn't have it on, yeah. I had a sleep paralysis incident. So I now I make sure I have a backup chain in the bedroom just in case I break mine. I've had to resolder the the little wire wrap that I mm-hmm. made and everything just to it doesn't look the best but it doesn't come off my neck. Right, Only yeah. when I shower does it come off my neck. So. Yeah. I think I I wear mine all the time. You know, even in the shower. I mean, it usually sits under my shirt. It's it, it it's not something I can easily take on and off. So, mm-hmm. um so I think that's what mine wear out my the yeah. you know, cuz I use like the leather cord and it mm-hmm. wears out cuz I shower in it. But uh, yeah, I mean yeah. It, it's That's Look, I, you know, my dad was has never been a big believer, even though they live in that house. I mean, he's just kind of always gone along with it and said, you know, I don't understand what's going on. But um, a few years ago when he started seeing them, you know, and he, he you understand, my dad, he he's a funny guy, but I mean, he's he's not, he, he, he doesn't make up stories. Right. You know, and, and I can always tell when he, when he pulls me to the side and, and says something, he's being dead serious and he was serious and I could tell he was concerned. 
got them some tourmaline and it took care of it. So, yep. It say what you will, maybe it's psychosomatic. I don't think it is, but me, you, everybody, we know that has had experiences and then got black tourmaline. It's helped as long as you keep it cleansed and yeah. do it, you know, use it the right way. I'm, I was never a believer in crystal power, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. Until I tried the black tourmaline and my sleep paralysis stopped. Mm. And then I went, okay, okay. You'd say what you will. You know, I think people take it too far with a lot of things, mm-hmm. like a lot of things. You know, oh, this can heal that and this. It, they don't heal physical ailments, but they'll help with the spiritual stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So our next story comes to us from KM. So KM says, I sent you a story last year with my adventures in reenacting in Tennessee. After the episode came out, I sent it to my family. The only one that listened was my brother, who was with me that night. After listening to the episode, he called me and said, why don't you tell them the story about Fig? To be honest, I had forgotten it until he mentioned it. I will spare you the backstory from last year, but Fort Indian Fort Indian Town Gap, Pennsylvania, or FIG, uh, at one time held the second largest World War II reenactment east of the Mississippi River. The largest being D-Day, Ohio, at Canoe uh, Township Park in Ohio. I hope I said that right. D-Day, Ohio happens every August, and the FIG event no longer happens. The thing about FIG was that it had a section that was all buildings from the 1940s and the early 1950s. Only the heating and plumbing had been upgraded. The event was in February. As a boy from Tennessee, I was not prepared for a Pennsylvania winter. Yeah, absolutely Mm. not. We crossed from West Virginia into Pennsylvania. There was snow piled up on the side of I-81. The younger members were excited to fight in the snow. I was not. That was until I saw the barracks. As I said, these were built for World War II. Everything was period correct, including the heat. Downstairs, you had to keep an extra layer on or be cold. Upstairs, Mm. you stripped down to your shorts or melted. We were upstairs. We arrived late Thursday night and left Sunday morning. We only saw the barracks the first night, but Friday morning... Our eyes were met with a sight straight out of a history book. Jeeps, trucks, half-tracks, and every other manner of military vehicle clogged the streets. That's cool. In the company offices were pubs, restaurants, and other establishments for entertainment. In the mess hall and theater was a reenactor flea market selling original and reproduction uniforms, gear, and other paraphernalia of the hobby. To make a long, fond memory short, it was everything we had been promised. After Saturday's battle, we came back to get out of our wet, cold clothes and into warm, dry ones. We then hit the vendors before they all packed up. We then made a run for some adult soda water. It was still a few hours before the dinner and and dance, so we sat to talk with some new friends we made on this trip. One was not a new friend, but the brother of one of our members. He showed us how to wear our dress uniforms and told stories of his time as a member of the local reenacting group. It was at this time that the strangeness occurred. 
If you remember, I said we had the top floor and all the heat ran up the stairwell and made the second floor almost unbearably hot. Four of us were sitting on a bunk with the two chairs at the end of the barrack talking. A cold draft came up out of nowhere. We didn't think anything about it because someone would crack the window to get some relief every now and then. The cold sensation stayed around us as we talked about the 28th Division's experience in the uh, Hurtgen Forest in 1944. This was the unit that trained at FIG before shipping overseas. Someone brought up the nickname of the 28th and asked, why were they called the Bloody Buckets? At the mention of that name, myself, my brother, our sergeant friend who was with us the night of the EVP, and one other who has now passed on, felt someone set on the bunk behind us. Mm. The springs creaked, causing our guest and his brother to look with us to see who had joined us. There was no one within a hundred feet of us, and he was asleep. At that point, our guest sheepishly laughed and said, Some people think these barracks are haunted. We laughed it off and continued our conversation. We got back late that night from the dance and we laid down to sleep. Late in the night, most of us were woken up by someone walking around. Someone at the other end told them to get back in bed. The next morning, we tried to find our prowler. No one admitted to it. This incident came up a few months later and one of our members who had retired from the army, said he didn't want to say anything, but he had shined his flashlight down the aisle and no one was there. He also said it sounded like they were on fire watch. Mm. Unlike last year's story, this has no evidence other than personal experience, but everyone there still remembers it, even if they write it off on a tired mind. That's cool. Yeah, haunted barracks. Yeah. We've, we've heard stuff like that before. Cool oh, yeah. story. Thank, yep. thank you so much for sharing that. That's pretty cool. And, and last year too, I remember the story, uh, from last year uh, when he mentioned that he was a reenactor. Very cool. Mm-hmm. We appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yep. All right. So this next one is from FB and they're from Britain. I mentioned that because I'm going to have trouble saying probably the town names and stuff, but says, I grew up in a town called uh, Stourbridge, which is in the black country. It's it's a hella old and has a rich history with old mining tunnels, glass factories, and ties to the first ever train steam engine. It's, it's first mentioned in the Doomsday Book, says 11th century, I believe, as a market town. By college, King... Edwards VI was founded in 1552, with portions of the building being at least 200 years old. 1860's best bet. And the town hall was built in 1887. The high street itself is littered with listed buildings, and the town has many churches. My first experience was at the Moorings Tavern, unfortunately now renamed and remodeled as a Ponzi Cafe, which was a bed and breakfast style pub that sat on the canal. After going down a Google wormhole, I think it was built around the start of the 18th century, possibly 1840, as that is what that part of the canal and the other buildings that were still standing were completed. 
when I was about 12 or 13 years old, my mom worked, worked the bar there and I would help clean the rooms above. The upstairs had a heavy atmosphere about it that wasn't present downstairs. It felt like a totally different building with a long, narrow corridor that sagged and seemed slanted. Local legend said that a tall, black shadow dog would roam the corridors. Mom claimed to have seen it, but I never did. I cannot explain why room four scared me greatly, and I refused to clean it. It was cold, dark, and oppressive. It felt wrong in there. There was a small church and graveyard at the bottom of my road that I used to love going to. I never got along with Christianity, it says, but that place was calm and beautiful to me, a safe place. Alternatively, there was a much grander red brick church, St. Mary's, with a larger graveyard the other side of town that scared me for no good reason. To me, it seemed big, dark, and imposing. It felt cold and unwelcoming there. I used to love scaring myself by wandering around the graveyard despite never seeing anything. After researching it, I found out that it was the first it was first built in the early 12th century and has three Knights Templar gravestones. That's cool. At the bottom of Lower High Street was a small square church that seemed abandoned but apparently isn't and that had the same scary vibe to it. It had a few gravestones hidden around the back, too. I would cross over to not pass it when walking down the street. After looking for a photo, I discovered that it's a Presbyterian church built in 1788 and that there has been a chapel since 1698. As a teenager, my dad and I would go for regular walks around the many local woods and farmlands. It was an adventure. Once we ventured further out, into the rolling hills and fields high above the towns with only patches of woodland left. It was beautiful until when you were entering a particular patch of trees, it suddenly went very cold and dark and I got scared. My dad tried to calm me, sensing that nothing was wrong, but I had to run, had to leave immediately. Exiting out of the other side, all felt normal again, but I spotted an odd shape down behind the next hill. It was a tall brick oblong tower on a pedestal base. A folly, I later learned. A building with no purpose. On it was graffiti in all caps in thick white letters, Who Put Bella in the Witch Elm? My dad had no idea what it meant, so I researched it later that night, uh, later that night and became obsessed with a local legend for years. In 1943, a body was found inside of a witch elm tree on private property, which is now Hagley and Witchberry Hills, where we'd been, by, uh, by four young boys looking for bird eggs. She'd been dead 18 months, was married, had children, dental work, and was dressed in more gypsy-esque clothes. She had taffeta stuffed down her throat, and it was thought she was put inside the tree alive. No one ever really identified her, and her skeleton went missing years later. Despite the investigation being kept secret due to the boy's illegal actions, graffiti appeared in the town within a few days asking who put Bella, sometimes Isabella, in the witch elm. The graffiti we saw had been done in the 2000s. The legend is that she was a witch or gypsy woman who had been killed for her wicked ways, and now her ghost haunts those woods. Another popular theory includes her being a German spy, 
dating a high-ranking Nazi officer or being a semi-famous cabaret singer. Despite returning many times, I never had that experience again, maybe because now I knew who she was and told everyone and anyone who would listen about her. The house me and my mom moved into when I was 12 was also haunted, and in the five or six years we lived there, I think we filled out the bingo card of typical hauntings. The house was built in the 1950s and was remodeled just before we moved in. We had phantom smells of cigars, disembodied voices, cold spots, and a ghostly male figure that would stand in the garden. Then, as family trouble kicked up and I became very upset and troubled, we had poltergeist activity. And says for for the bonus, I'm female. So that's that adds to the poltergeist mm-hmm. stories there that it's usually um, younger females that cause the poltergeist stuff. But she goes on to say, we had stuff rearranged in the kitchen, mainly the spice rack for some, uh, for some unexplained reason and the kettle randomly clicking on. I was alone one time and it kept moving the bread I'd placed on the countertop. I'd put it next to the toaster and I'd look away and it would be back on the stovetop. It was funny. And I liked the kettle coming on for me when I'd come home from school or college. Says what I didn't like was the pacing outside of my room at night. That terrified me. And no, it was not the floorboards. I know that, uh, I know what that sounds like because those did happen independently. Only once did I enter my room. I could hear it scuffling around across the room from me. It sounded like it was shuffling through a huge pile of papers and plastic bags, but there wasn't any in the room. It was just cuddly toys and laundry. I sat petrified in bed, frozen in fear, staring into the darkness, seeing nothing until an almighty crash, as if a huge pile of books had toppled over, made me jump up and I hit the light switch. Nothing was there. Nothing had changed, nothing moved, and nothing appeared. Mom hadn't woken up either, as if the sound hadn't really happened, as if that wasn't enough. Whenever we had someone new in the house, it would rip down the shower curtain and make a huge echoing crash. We experimented with that one. It would take some force to pull down and would land in the bath with some noise. When it pulled it down, it would land on the floor with a huge crash sound. So what they're saying is when they pull it down, it would land in the bathtub, but not a whole lot of noise. But when the entity pulled it down, it would land in the middle of the floor and sound like crashing noises. And finally, and more humorously, it once plucked a pair of knickers off the top of a pile of clean laundry and threw it a good few feet across the lounge. So for our American listeners, that's underwear. Um, The pile didn't topple over. Nothing else in the pile was disturbed, and we felt no draft. Plus, the doors and windows were shut, as were the curtains. They simply flew across the lounge, and we took it as a sign uh, to take the laundry upstairs. So she goes on a little bit, but man, sounds like she has had some experiences in her lifetime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in that house. And I've I've heard that who put Bella in the witch elm thing. I have too. For many years, but we've just never looked into it. Maybe we should. Yeah. Maybe there's something there. I, when you said that, I was like, well, I've read that before. 
You know, mm-hmm. I know I have come across. That is not the first time I've heard that. Right. All right. This next one comes from KK. And uh, KK says, I hope you remember me. I've been sending listener stories for three years running now. And I told you last year that I intend to keep sending stories in. And Adam said, quote, bring it on. She says, well, I'm bringing it now. (laughs) She said, this particular story has been on my mind for a long time. I had a very good friend when I was growing up. We met in first grade. Jay was a very big personality, and his sense of humor was something to be reckoned with. A small group of friends, including myself and Jay, got bullied a lot in school. We grew up in a very small town, and cliques were established early in our school years. Somehow, this never seemed to bother Jay. He was the happiest guy. He was always ready to cheer us up with a joke or a funny story. The meanest of mean kids couldn't get under his skin. He lived life to the fullest in his short time on this earth. He traveled across the country, worked on a ranch in Colorado and a farm in Hawaii for several years before investing in his own landscaping business. He was very creative as well as hardworking. Our high school boasted a garden of his own creation for several years after graduation. Jay was poised to burst into adulthood at full speed and make a dent in the world. Unfortunately, this didn't happen. Jay got very sick, very suddenly, and passed away in October of 2010. He was only 22 years old. Hell, man, this guy did a lot before 22. Jeez. That's that is well, incredible. He said live life to the fullest. That's right. He certainly did. Our little group of friends were devastated. Jay was the glue that had held us together. He had seemed to be the best of us, poised for big things, ready to pioneer changes in the world. At his funeral, as Jay had been so dedicated to preserving the environment, his mother requested we all plant a tree in his honor. I fell into a depression after Jay's passing. The world didn't seem as bright without him in it. I have always suffered from nightmares, and those worsened in the weeks after losing Jay. One night, however, I had a very different sort of dream. I dreamed that my friends and I were at a class reunion. Jay was there, talking and having fun as if nothing had happened. No one seemed to remember that Jay had passed away, not even myself. He and I had spent a long while catching up with each other and reminiscing about our school-age shenanigans. Slowly, however, I began to realize that something wasn't right. I seemed to be the only person who could see Jay. The memory of Jay's funeral crept slowly back into my mind, and I began to panic as I started to realize that Jay had passed on and could not be there. He tried to calm me down, but I burst into tears and began to shout, you're dead. You're dead. That's that was when Jay gently put his hand on my shoulders and said, Kay, I know that I'm not alive and that's okay. I'm here to check on you. I told Jay how depressed that I had been and how much I missed him. He listened to me talk and he spoke comforting words about how he was aware of what had happened, that he had moved on and was very happy with where he was. He gave me one final hug and assured me that everything would be okay and that he would be back before he slowly faded away. I woke up from that dream feeling as if a huge weight 
had come off my shoulders. Over the next few weeks, my depression eased, the world became brighter again, and I felt myself coming back to the person I had been before Jay's passing. I still dream of Jay. About once a year, I have a similar dream. We are at a class reunion again, and Jay is there, sometimes talking to me, sometimes just in the background. I'm aware that he is gone, and his presence instead fills me with happiness. I cherish the time we spend together, and he always reminds me that he's there to check on me and make sure that I'm okay. The last of these dreams occurred about two weeks ago. The reason this story has a date to it is because today was the day that for the first time since the funeral 13 years ago, I ran into Jay's mother. We shed happy tears as we recognized each other purely by chance in a small corner store. She invited me over to her house, where we spent hours reminiscing about Jay. Despite the subject being a sad one, it was very happy and a heartfelt reunion. I felt Jay's presence overwhelmingly as we shared a few beers and swapped funny stories about him. Today felt like the day to put this story to paper. It was an extra boost for both Jay's mother and myself to remember the person who had shaped so much of both of our lives. I would like to add on a final note that Jay's mother had intended to jo- donate Jay's organs after his passing. However, due to, the back- due to the bacterial nature of his illness, none of his organs were viable. Instead, his mother hosts a memorial blood drive in his name three to four times a year. She has donated over 1,500 pints in his name to date. Even years after his passing, Jay is still impacting the world. That Kay, that is that is an awesome story. And yep. so many of these stories that we get are scary or or creepy or, or everything. And 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 that's great. But we get at least a few every year that are not scary. Um that are heartfelt, heartwarming, um, and, and, you know, they just, they make you feel good about what might be on the other side mm-hmm. and that maybe all of those friends and family that we've lost over the years, they're, they're still right there. You know, they, they're just on the other side and they're keeping an eye on us. And every once in a while they, they reach through the veil and let us know. Well, and, you know, I've heard skeptics say, well, that's just a dream. You're just remembering them, whatever. But here's the thing. Yeah, you can dream about Mm -hmm. them. But as with most dreams, those dreams fade in your memory. When you have a dream that is so impactful to you that you will never forget it, and it involves a past loved one, I think that's them actually coming back because in a sleep state, you're not able to have your logical brain brush it off as, you know, just your imagination. You just seeing something out of the corner of your eye. There's got to be a rational explanation, yada, yada, yada. In your sleep state, you're more receptive and they're able to come and visit you and interact with you. And to me, those are the dreams that if you have that dream, you'll never forget. She will always remember Jay visiting her. Yeah. And I think that's, 
that to me, that's proof that that was Jay coming and saying, Hey, I'm okay. You know, keep living your life. Have fun. Don't be so depressed over me because I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, she'll never forget that it, it changed her mindset and mood about everything. And so to me, yeah, you can have dreams and they can just be dreams, but when they're dreams that impactful, I believe it is your loved one coming back and talking. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And I've, I've had dreams like this and you're right. I mean, I can remember being in eighth grade, probably 14 years old and, and having a dream of, uh, a family member coming to me and waking up the next morning to find out he had passed during the night. So, mm-hmm. and it sticks with you. And I remember, and I am not one to remember dreams at all. I yeah, will, I will either. wake up realizing that I have dreamed. Um, but man, they, they go away fast. I, I, I cannot yep. hold on to them. Every, every once in a while, I'll be able to recall some random detail. Um, mm-hmm. but not that one. I can remember every aspect of it. Right. All right. So this next one comes from DW. It says, I am a senior police officer in the UK with 22 years experience, and I work in a major city just outside of London. In late 2022, I was the commander for a major incident in this city. I left the location in the very early hours of the morning to travel home. While en route home, I got a message that I needed to do some further work regarding the incident. Rather than going home and waking my family up at 4 a.m., I decided to stop off at what is known as a satellite station to complete this work. Most police areas in the U.K. now use main, large-purpose-building, large-purpose-built police stations constructed in main locations. Older community police stations or, quote, police houses remain within further reaching areas and are referred to as satellite stations. No one usually works from them. They are pretty much abandoned. The satellite station I stopped off at was built in the late 1950s and stopped being an operational station around 15 years ago. It is located within within a small town in one of the furthest reaches of the policing area it serves. To say this town is sleepy would be an understatement. This station has two floors, but isn't especially big. It has a long corridor running through both levels, and either side are now disused offices, storage areas, and dilapidated jail area containing nine cells. I've worked here a number of times over the last few years, as it is close to home, but over the last 15 years, I have never seen another person present in this station. Entry to the station is by way of secure swipe card, causing the set of large gates on the entrance to the vehicle yard to slowly creak open. Once into the small yard, you are able to see any other vehicles parked at the location. As ever, my vehicle was the only one present. Given the rural and isolated location of the station, I called control center to see if the intruder alarm was set and if not to gain the access code. As I expected, I was told the intruder alarm was set and was given the access code to disable it on entry. I went into the building with my laptop, disabled the alarm, and looked for an office to set myself up in. Walking around the station is an odd experience. 
I worked out of it for a few years, many years ago as a junior officer, so I know it well. It is always an eerie experience to visit one of the satellite stations as everything appears abandoned in a way that, in a way that is what happens. Orders are received to move operational staff elsewhere and other than maintenance visits from estate management, only occasional visits are made for short periods of time. Walking around, one can find newspapers from 15 years ago on desk and the briefing posters of wanted people still hanging on the walls showing people who have now aged beyond their youthful features captured by these images. It says, I decided to set my temporary office up on the second floor as much of the first floor uh, is just operational storage areas. I chose an office adjacent to the top of the stairs with the corridor going past in either direction to the east towards the report room and to the west towards the toilet, uh, toward the toilet area and CID, the detectives department, all ob- obviously now disused and abandoned. Now I must stress at this stage, I was wide awake, although it was the early hours of the morning. I'm used to working night shifts, have never fallen asleep on duty, and I was still very much primed from the incident I had com- uh, had command over. As I waited for my laptop to power up, I heard footsteps walking toward the office where I was sitting, coming from the west. They were unmistakable. Heavy steps of someone wearing service boots and a clinking that anyone in this service will recognize as vehicle and handcuff keys jangling on a utility belt. The steps continued to approach the office where I was sitting. My only thought at this time was, oh, it's an officer coming to offer me a, uh, a coffee or say hi. I knew by name many of the officers that worked in this area and even thought it may be someone checking me out given the station is rarely occupied. As the footsteps approached, they stopped immediately outside the office and I waited with bated breath to see who would pop their head in. After a few seconds, no one did, which I thought was, was odd. I then heard the footsteps and jangling of keys turn and return down the corridor back from the direction from which they came. It was now I became very interested in who it was. The alarm was set when I entered, and given the small size of the station, I know I would have heard another officer come in. At that time of the night, you could hear a mouse sneeze in any part of the building, let alone hear a patrol car park park after coming through the heavy iron gates. I looked to my left out of the window to the vehicle yard, and only my car was there. Now, my thought process included only two possibilities at this time. Either it was a slacking officer who had taken a night-duty sleep break in the station and made a mistake of approaching a senior officer while doing so, or an external intruder trespassing on a secure site. All this went through my head in a few seconds before I left my desk to follow the sound of the footsteps. Suffice it to say, I searched that police station from top to bottom, including every cupboard and storage area on both floors with no trace of any person. I logged on to officer tracking and noted that no officers had been any closer than 20 miles of the station in the last two hours. I was absolutely certain that no person other than myself was in that station. This left me with a dilemma. Either I was mistaken or there was someone someone present with me. I was unwilling to accept either situation. <laughs> yeah. 
I just put it down to one of those things, but it did bother me as I couldn't explain it. I spoke about it with another officer who was also a close friend who was familiar with the station. He said that he often felt an isolated sensation when there, but put it down to being its abandoned status. Ultimately, I came to the conclusion that I must have been mistaken. Old stations are drafty, doors bang, and building fabrics creak. I hadn't fully convinced myself of this, but it was a more comfortable explanation than the alternative. On a sunny Sunday morning in the summer of 2023, about six months later, I returned to the station. It was around 7 a.m., and as I entered the station, I knew I was alone for all the reasons I mentioned on my last visit. I settled down into the same office. After an hour or so, I decided I needed to use the toilet. This is located to the west of the corridor, if you recall the direction of my mysterious footsteps. As I walked into the small room that contained the single toilet, I could see and hear that the two taps, or faucets, were both fully turned on and running water into the sink. I also saw that the plug was in the sink and the water level was rising quickly. I rushed to turn these off and take the plug out out to prevent a flooded floor. As I stood at the sink, the reality set in. Whoever or whatever had turned these taps on and put the plug in must have done this at the same time I decided to use the toilet only a few seconds previously. This was evident by the speed at which the sink was filling and the lack of any flooding prior to my arrival. I laughed and said out loud, okay, I believe you now. I have many months to reflect on these linked events. I'm a rational person, probably swaying towards healthy skeptic. I do believe in ghosts, but I don't subscribe to the thought that they are manifestations of the dead. Neither of the incidents caused me any distress. I never felt threatened or scared. I have no doubt that whatever was with me on those days was intelligent and very much aware of me. I like to think the first event was this intelligence checking me out, maybe asking who is this in my station, and when when satisfied I was no threat, let me be. I'm sure the second incident was its way of telling me it was real and I should believe. It succeeded. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. That's cool, though. That and that—that's what I thought too. When um, he said that he had to run and stop the uh, sinks from overflowing, mm-hmm. I thought, well, you know for a fact that it hasn't been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like a previous officer was there, right. turned them on and left them. It was very recent thing, or there would have been flooding. Right, man, that's crazy. We had one earlier that mentioned something about actually seeing the water faucet yeah. turn on. Yep. You know. Yep. Uh, I don't know what's worse, the water coming on and you the, the handles didn't turn or actually seeing the handles turn. <laughs> yeah, probably seeing the handles turn. Because if the handles don't turn, you can you, you, convince yourself, oh, there's a seal right. that's broken. <laughs> But if you see the handles turn, a busted seal ain't going to do that. That's right. All right. So our next one uh, is from ES. Uh, Let's see. To start with some background, over the last year, my husband has begun uh, begun to sleepwalk occasionally. There isn't really a pattern to it, but he has a few. But if he has a few adult beverages, the likelihood seems to be higher. 
While the incidents can sometimes be a little startling, picture having to put a six foot two man back to bed when he has just startled you awake by sleepwalking himself to stand in your bedroom corner. They haven't ever really been truly creepy or scary until now. Last month, we went on a Halloween cruise that left out of New Orleans. We decided to to get to New Orleans a day and a half early in order to enjoy the city since it's one of our favorite places. On our last night there, we went on a ghost tour through the French Quarter. One of the last stops was the Lalaurie Mansion. And when I tell you the area around that house feels wrong, you can take it as the gospel truth. Even before we stopped in front of it, I could feel a heaviness coming from that area and just the feeling that something wasn't right. After the tour, we went back to our Airbnb to get ready for bed and to leave on our cruise. A few hours after falling asleep, I felt my husband sit straight up in bed. I asked him what he was doing, and his response was, I have to let her in. What? I asked, and he repeated, I have to let her in. When I asked, let who in? His response was, I'm going back to sleep. Then he laid back down and promptly began to snore. The next morning when we opened the front door to start taking our luggage to the car, we noticed the key had been left in the front door. I don't know who he was trying to let in the house, but thankfully he went back to sleep instead. Huh. That that is pretty creepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of realized something was going on, maybe. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So this next one comes to us from GZ. GZ. In the early 2000s, I had an uncle that passed away. He was an Air Force veteran and flew as a fighter pilot in World War II. He was an amazing person all around and was loved by all who knew him. My family drove down to attend his funeral, which was a few hours distance. Everything was his funerals usually go. The viewing and the final goodbyes, the service, and then the cars line up for the parade to the graveside service. It was to be a military burial with final salutes, flag folding, and taps playing. If you haven't seen or been to one of these, it is very emotional, but such a great honor to the deceased. However, early on in the funeral, the family had been informed that the taps player had not been able to make it. Of course, they were disappointed, but what can you do? You still have to bury the dead. Anyway, as the guns went off and the flag was being folded, the sound of taps graced all our ears and standing at the Mm. top of a hill... Across the cemetery, you could see the man playing. I didn't pay too much attention to the man as I was engrossed in the other happenings. Later, during the family gathering, everyone was abuzz with the talk of the musician. No one knew where he had come from or who he was, and the only thing that was synonymous about his description was that he was male. Everyone who saw him had seen a different-looking man. Some saw a gray-haired, bearded, older man wearing a white suit, while others saw a gentleman with no beard in a gray suit. When the funeral director was asked about it, his reply was, no one knows who that is or has ever talked to him, but sometimes when our musician can't make it, he's there. We call him the Taps Angel. That's That incredible. is 
I love that story. Dude, I, that makes me think of my grandfather's funeral because I can't hear taps without getting the chills and tearing up a little bit because of my grandfather's funeral. And that that hit me. I, I don't know why, but that one yeah. got me. And uh, Jeezy goes on. He's got a couple of them here that are military related. He says, when my husband and I were discharged from the military, um, we came from overseas and stayed with my mother-in-law in her home in Pennsylvania, where my husband grew up. Lots of connections to Pennsylvania tonight. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law had passed away the year before my husband and I met from cancer. It's also good to note that he did die in the house. One night, my husband and I stayed up watching TV and my mother-in-law went off to bed. My sister was off at college and only returned on the weekends. All the bedrooms were upstairs. We went off to bed and lay there with our dog on the floor beside us so everyone was upstairs. Which is why it was strange when I heard the sound of footsteps and floorboards creaking on the first floor. You could track the steps all the way across the first floor of the house due to the creaking. When the steps got to the bottom of the stairs, I got a little nervous that there was an intruder, but I was frozen. My dog started a low warning growl, and I just laid there waiting for the inevitable burglar. I heard each step creak, and they walked into my sister-in-law's room where I heard papers shuffling like someone was rummaging through her notebooks. Then the footsteps began to leave her room, and I mentally prepared for the fight that was about to occur while my dog's growl and barks grew louder and more menacing. However, when the footsteps got to our room, there was no physical person to fight, but the shadowy silhouette of a man, clear as day, cast it on our door. Mm. The shadow walked into the room and disappeared. Moments later, the footsteps continued down the hall to my mother-in-law's room and I no longer heard them. I was in shock and turned to see if my husband was awake. He was, and he had seen the same thing I saw, but said he was also kind of frozen in shock. The odd thing was that we weren't scared, just shocked. Then the next morning, we discussed the event at breakfast where we determined that his dad was doing in death what he had done in life, checking each kid and room before heading off to bed. Very possible. And now she said, this is the last one I'll share. So my grandfather died a little over a year ago. We loaded our little family up to make the seven hour drive to my hometown to gather and mourn with the family. The night of the viewing, which was in my grandmother's house, we opted to stay with my mom. The grand, my grandpa's body stayed at his house for the last time, and as my nana told us, she shared a nice cup of morning brew with him on the day of his funeral. I know it sounds odd, but when someone this close dies, you want to savor every second you have, even if it means a cup of coffee with their body in the casket before they hauled him off to be placed in the earth. My mother's house was a little crowded, so the night of the funeral, we decided to stay at my grandma's so I could be close to her if she needed someone in the night. My husband, myself, and our seven-year-old stayed in the room my pappy had passed in on a full-size bed. 
I didn't get much sleep as I was hoping and praying and begging to see him once again, even in spirit. Also, if you've ever slept with a seven-year-old, you know that there ain't no sleeping unless you are the seven-year-old. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. So I ended up on a couch in the room with my grandma. Unfortunately, I didn't see him that night like I had hoped. The next morning as we were having coffee in the living room with my grandma and uncle, we heard the familiar sound of the singing uh, bass fish. You know, the I don't know. The one I had was... I always said, uh, take me to the river. You remember that? Yeah. Billy Bass. <laughs> the Billy Bass yep. thing. Yeah. <laughs> My grandpa loved the thing and would push the button when the grands and greats were around and sing and dance to the music at, at, for entertainment. It would sing its song and stop. And we would look at each other like, oh, come on and carry on our conversation. So my grandma mentioned going to my aunt's river house for the weekend and the bass broke out in song. Take me to the river, sink me in the water. And we all laughed and said that Pappy agrees that she should go to the river. I couldn't take it anymore and went off in search of the thing, which hadn't been on the wall in quite a while since, since the batteries had died. I found it in the laundry room on top of the dryer, covered in kitchen towels. It does have a motion sensor on it, but you have to wave your hand in front of it. And this thing was buried. It was my silly pappy giving us a sign that he could, that only he could, and making a smile as he always had. That's pretty great. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm still tripping out about the the taps. Angle. I know. And that that is just an awesome story. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and it's cool that you've had so many experiences yeah. like that. But I, I just the the taps angel. Like I don't know what it is, but you know it it was. It's the universe saying if the taps player can't make it, these military men deserve. Yeah taps being played and they're going to the do funeral it. director and, confirming that it had happened before several times yep, exactly and that everybody saw a different yep. person doing it you know to me it you see what you think should be who you think should be playing taps yeah in your own mind well and that goes back to the you know you have you've talked about it on the show before that hauntings are a very personal thing that Mm -hmm. your experience may not be what the other person's experience is, you know, it, it, you know, somehow the way it manifests, it's going to be unique to you in many cases. And that sounds like what's going on here, you know? Yeah. I don't know if I would necessarily call this a haunting. Um, I mean, I, I don't really know what you would call it, um, but it's 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 definitely something, you know, some yeah. some spirit or the universe itself or something, you know, providing a, a final farewell for for these, you know, people who have who have served their country. And yeah, that just that that's an incredible story. It is. I can is. I can it. definitely I will definitely share this story with other people, um, mm-hmm. you know, that may, may not have heard it on this show. So, 
Yep, exactly. Me too. Guys, thank you so much. Once again, you guys are killing it. You know, sending in great stories. I mean, we've had some really amazing ones, uh, you know, this Mm -hmm. show. But remember, we're not done. So if you haven't heard yours yet, be sure and catch part two of our Christmas episodes. Um, That'll be coming out when, Adam? Uh, Two two weeks. weeks. So two. We're dark next week, and then it'll be coming out first episode of 2024. That's right. So uh, you can ring in the new year with more of our Christmas ghost stories. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for the support. Uh, that you've given us throughout this year and all the years leading up to this. This is the seventh time that Adam mm-hmm. and I have have sat down and and recorded stories that you guys sent in. And you That's have great. no idea how much we appreciate it. Um, we, we want to make sure that uh, everybody has a safe and happy holiday season, regardless of where you are or what you're celebrating. Um, we we really hope that it's it's amazing and everything you want it to be. And remember, until next year, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply